This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, Trek FM's dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm just one of your hosts, Dan Gunther, and with me, as he is every week, is the... Oh, I gotta think of another adjective. Um, let's go with splendiferous Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how's it going tonight? Splendiferous. Whatever. I'm doing well. I, I think it's funny. Maybe one week I just won't show up. Then you can't say, as he is every week, joining you. Right? No, I can't. Thwart, do that. You're thwarting my plans here. I can't do that to you. I can't do that to you. I want <laughs> as to be he here. is every week, except for that one week in March, Bruce. <laughs> Was there? Yeah, could have been. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I've uh, been having a good week. I finished reading the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard, so it would, be, it would be really cool if we could talk about that book on the show today. Definitely. I think that would be really... You know what? I've just decided I'm going to make it so. Ah, I see what you did there, number one. <laughs> I mean, Captain. Whatever you are. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we got David A. Goodman, who is not the author, right? Right. He's right. The, no, he's the he's the editor, of course, because it is an autobiography. It was written by the man himself, Jean-Luc Picard, the starship captain from 300 years in the future. Yes. So we'll have uh, David Goodman on. We'll talk about the book in the feature and we'll try to get him to reveal something about the Orville since he's working on that, too. Right. Excellent. Well, we'll try and trap him with some questions and see what he'll give up. <laughs> But in the meantime, we do have some news this week. Uh, first off is uh, something that I've mentioned in a previous episode that I would like to purchase myself. We've got the Star Trek Waypoint trade paperback now available. Uh, and this is really cool. You might remember Waypoint were those kind of one-off uh, comics that had two stories in each of them that were kind of weird stories, different stories told from corners of the Star Trek universe we don't usually see. We had, like, for example, we had that story by Dayton Ward and Kevin Dilmore, their kind of send-up of the Star Trek Gold Key comics. We had an Enterprise story about a time-traveling beagle. Uh, 
and a story told from the perspective of Naomi Wildman on Voyager, just all these really different weird stories. And all six of those issues will be in this trade paperback, 160 pages long and $17.99 US from most retailers. Although if you do some searching out there, you can find them cheaper, for example, on Amazon and other retailers. So this is one, Bruce, I think I would really like to have on my shelf. Yeah, because each of those issues had two stories. So if it's six issues, you're getting 12 stories in there. And like you said, they're very unique stories. And uh, it's also available as an ebook too. So if you you know want to go that route, uh, that's available too. So hopefully, you know, Waypoint was a little different. And there were times that I thought it really worked well. And other times I wasn't too sure because it gets a little crazy sometimes <laughs> being a little different. But I would love to see this come back at some point. So hopefully we'll get another run of Waypoint Comics and we'll have a second trade paperback too. That would be really cool. Awesome. Well, we also uh, have seen some new covers released and these are for the releases coming in January 2018. Uh, and these look really interesting. So first of all, we get several variant covers for Star Trek Boldy Go number 16. And I don't know about you, but I really want this one with Captain Kirk as a Funko Pop. <laughs> yeah, he's sitting there in the chair on the Enterprise or in the Endeavor, whichever. I guess it's the Endeavor, really. Um, and yeah, it uh, the Funko Pop one looks cool. But then there's the, I think the actual cover that you see most places and it's got i i don't know is that spock or, or is that romulan in the center i'm not even sure i guess it's not spock or it, i don't know i think it is i think this is all the different versions of spock because we get that other cover that's like all the various versions of kirk that are in this idic storyline and so we've got you know the woman spock the the human-ish Spock, the the guy that had his ears bobbed that we'll talk about in the episode where t or, or the comic issue we're talking about later and uh, just various different versions of him, I, th I think, anyway. Yeah, that's probably, that makes sense. Uh, so this, if this is number 16, it's part four of Idic because like you mentioned, we're going to talk about issue 13, which is part one of the Idic series of Boldly Go. So uh, at least we're getting four issues uh, to that run. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Part four of the six part story. So yeah, that'll be pretty cool. See, I didn't remember it was six parts. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah. And like I say, we'll, we'll get to uh, talking about the first part of that story in just a few minutes here. Uh, spoiler alert. This looks really cool. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spoiler. This looks really cool. It looks. I, okay. I loved this issue of uh, Boldy Go. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's the spoiler. <laughs> okay, that's the spoiler. I gotcha. Well, we also have a cover for Star Trek New Visions. And uh, which one's this? Number... Dun, 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 dun. Look at me waste time. I don't know. I can't find it. What is it? Yeah, this is the, the cover for Volume 6, uh, the um, omnibus of oh, issues right. number 15 to 17. Uh, right, it's so, not a new comic. It's the omnibus of Past right. Yeah. yeah. So it's the sixth uh, collection of the various stories. So if you've been waiting instead of getting the individual issues of 
uh, new visions, you can uh, pick this one up. This is number six. And this includes issues 15 to 17, which are The Traveler, Time Out of Joint, and All the Ages Frozen, all of which we have talked about in uh, previous episodes. Yeah, and if anybody's thinking, wow, it's only three comics in this issue, well, the the comic issues are very uh, thick compared to most. They're like twice as long as a regular comic. So you're, you are getting longer stories than a typical comic book. So it's even though it's only three issues, it's more the size of six. Mm-hmm. And this one, uh, this one is also 1799, like the waypoint omnibus. But, uh, again, I think if you do some searching out there from various retailers, you'll probably find some better pricing for that as well. Yeah. And this is 128 pages in length. So there's plenty to read in there. Well, what do you say we jump into our review of boldly go number 13? Absolutely. I am so excited because spoiler alert, I liked it too. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, this is the first issue of the Idic mini series and it's kind of been teased a little bit uh, over the last little while. This is that story and it seems to kind of be taking the tack that uh, if you remember the season seven episode in the next generation called parallels took, we've got all these different realities and different Kirks and stuff. And, and, and yeah, this, it, I don't know. This is really interesting. So it starts out in our regular universe. Of course, Kirk and his crew, they're aboard the Endeavor. Spock and Uhura are back on new Vulcan, still taking some time off. Um, but as we get into this story, we kind of jump to another place and the comic, they call it Else When. And our first view of that is of Zachary Quinto as Spock. But I term him Emo Spock. Because <laughs> yeah. he's, he's got that kind it. of sideswept hair and round human ears. What did you think at this point, Bruce? Uh, at first, I didn't really. It was more the hair I noticed that was different. I, I didn't notice <laughs> the ears right away. It wasn't until, I guess... Uh, the next panel down or something the way he was acting i was like wait a second wait is he vulcan and i went back to the previous page and i'm like oh yeah he doesn't have the vulcan ears the pointy ears and i thought okay so this is another dimension where i guess he was born fully human but we find out that no he was surgically altered as a vulcan to look human yeah definitely an interesting tack to take with the character here so in this universe instead of embracing his vulcan half and committing to that life he's decided that he's going to go with the the human side and embrace that and we get the idea that there's some past trauma there uh and we learn a little in a little while what that is um and it seems that his wife was murdered uh, and so we get some interesting backstory here. And then to me, the story takes a really weird turn when we join Kirk and Kirk is definitely not the Kirk that we know from our universe. It seems he's been living in the Klingon empire and living there as, as a Klingon basically. And he's become as renowned in the empire as Kirk, as our Kirk becomes in the Federation, which is really interesting. 
Yeah, when we got to the Klingons, they were talking about the orphan is coming. And then when the orphan showed up, uh, I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to be Khan. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it wasn't. Yeah, you're right. It was uh, Kirk. And uh, he's just, he, he almost looks like, you know, Kang from... He's got the eye patch, like in the mm. undiscovered country. Like General Chang, yeah. Chang, I mean. And uh, yeah, so, and the Klingons look like the movie era Klingons of the recent movies, of course, so that all fits into to this. There's just several things about the comic that I found interesting, too, because the way this takes place and starts off is that there's talk about, you know, leaving the Endeavor and getting onto the new Enterprise, and I, I don't know if we were, go- were going to see the new Enterprise in these comics because I would think that they'll wait till what's going to happen with the next movie. If there is going to be a next movie, I hope so. But, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't know. But uh, I thought that that part was intriguing also. And that yeah. Spock also goes by the name of Commander Simon Grayson. <laughs> yeah, that was really interesting, which, of course, we know uh, his mother, Amanda, her last name is Grayson. So yeah, it's very cool. A bunch of different paths have been taken here in their lives that separate their, that universe from ours, quote unquote, ours, the Kelvin timeline, not the prime. Oh man. Okay. I can see where all these timelines are and, and universes are going to get really confusing by this point. But in this one, yeah, we've got the, uh, the Spock who's, clipped his ears to look human is the first officer on the enterprise under captain pike who's still alive and um kirk living in the klingon empire as almost kind of a warlord there i guess i don't know he seems yeah very high up in the klingon empire yeah so we're uh seeing these different universes converge all the way to the last panel on the last page Hmm. which is a really interesting reveal because this is an alternate universe that we've seen before in the ongoing series, I think anyway, or if not that one, one that's very similar to it because we get uh, a woman, Captain Kirk and first officer Spock here on the bridge. Wasn't she called Jane Kirk in the ongoing I believe so. Yeah. It's been a while now. Uh, so my memory is a little bit faulty. I might have to go back and read those um, and get caught up a little bit. But yeah. uh, but I like I, I I like this issue a lot. I think I mean for for the story elements that we're talking about and the different universes and and different takes on characters are really cool. But I also like the pacing and the feel. Sometimes when I read comics, especially if it's a story that's just going to be in one issue, sometimes too, it feels a bit rushed. The pacing mm. of this feels feels good to me, and the fact that this is a six issue series, it's flowing better for me. And I feel like we're spending more time on scene, uh, you know, on the scenes and, and letting it breathe a little. So it really feels good. And I'm, I'm very anxious to read the next issue. Yeah, I agree complete with, completely with that. The last two issues, which was the, the Lord Garth story, I, you know, I mean, there were some interesting things in it, but for me, the pacing was the biggest issue with that. It just, everything happened so quickly and was wrapped up so fast that I, I just, you know, it kind of left that 
bad feeling in my mouth that yeah, I wasn't, wasn't the biggest fan, but this one, yeah, like you said, the pacing is great. I like that they're taking their time with it, but at the same time, it's, it's moving along at a pretty good clip, but you can tell there's, there's lots of plans being laid. It looks like we're being set up for a really wide ranging epic adventure here. And I, I can't wait to, to read the rest. And that's a good feeling to have. It is. And just things like talking, they're talking to Sulu about, well, we go to the Enterprise, are you going to come with us? Are you going to stay on the Endeavor and be a first officer? You know, I understand if you want to advance in your career. And I mean, there's a whole conversation even just about, you know, well, what's Sulu going to do? If this was a one issue thing, we'd probably never get to that. Mm hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's time to take those character moments and do some really interesting character beats. Excellent. Well, I think we both really liked this one as we already revealed in the spoilers at the top of the show. Um, But yeah, no, if you uh, if you've been on the fence about getting in on Boldly Go, I think this would be a really good time to uh, jump on board and pick up this issue because this looks to be a really cool story. So can't wait to see where it goes from here. And now what do you say we jump into the feature and welcome our special guest? Let's jump in right now. Well, a couple of years ago, you may remember we got the treat of getting a really cool book, a really great addition to the Star Trek literary universe, the autobiography of James T. Kirk. And this year we get the next in that kind of series, the autobiography of Captain Jean-Luc Picard, written, of course, by the magnificent captain and edited by david goodman and we have david goodman here with us today to talk about it david welcome to the show thanks for having me so i'm confused is there some kind of like time warp thing how do you edit a book from a captain in the future Hmm, that's a very good question it's a it's a uh you know that he unfortunately Picard and Kirk had to do a slingshot around the sun and come back in time because I've never been in the future and it was you know that I appreciated that they wanted my editing skills uh, on their autobiographies that they went to that much trouble. I mean, think about that. They're 200, 300 years in the future, and they're saying, "I need an editor, and the best editor I've seen in history. <laughs> I have to go back in time and get." And that's you. It's sad. It's sad. It's sad that, that there are no good editors in the twenty first century. Well, I think it's probably just that you're such a good editor that you know your your voice carries through the years. I, that's very nice. I think that's probably true. excellent well let's jump right into this book because uh it's a very cool piece of literature for any star trek fan to have on their shelf i mean you know the autobiography of captain picard we get little hints of his history throughout the show of course and throughout the movies that he's in but in this book you really dive deep and get into the the backstory of jean-luc picard So many of the incidents in this book were fully fleshed out stories based on maybe one or two lines here and there from an episode. What was kind of your process for coming up with the details for each of those segments? Well, just like the Kirk book, you sort of, you start these books, for me, they started with a partially completed puzzle. So you have these little pieces of his history, and you might have a whole section of his life very clearly worked out, obviously, the seven years aboard the Enterprise D is very clearly worked out, but um, but um, there are obviously little pieces of his life that, that you don't know very well. And so my job is to 
fill in those pieces and create a picture of this guy's life that doesn't contradict the pieces that we're already very familiar with. So when I start one of these books, I start with, uh, obviously it has to start at the beginning of his life and that, and, and in this case, uh, there were obviously this life on, at the vineyard growing up on this vineyard was an important piece to flesh out it, it, the episode family established his brother and, and implied relationships with his father. And there's a, it, 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 so I, I, I needed to build that life. And then I start with this idea of like, what's happening at home for these kids, Picard and Kirk, when he's a kid, that makes them want to leave, that makes them want to go out into space. If Earth is a paradise, which which it's established in canon that it is in the in the 23rd and 24th century, why would someone want to go out into space? And you could just say, oh, he wants to explore. But I feel to get into the, to the psychology of these characters, you want to drive. You want a reason that a reader is going to relate to. And what I came up with for this, which was already sort of established, was life on the vineyard with his brother and father was kind of unpleasant, that they weren't uh, approving of him, or he couldn't compete with his older brother who was better at winemaking than he was, or, you know, all those things. And I thought, this is a great way. And then it's established in... Tell me if I'm talking too much. It's established in Star Trek that Picard is ambitious, that there's this bit of dialogue in um, uh, We'll Always Have Paris where Janice says, you know, something about he, you know, it's, it was important for him to be important. And so how, how does young Picard decide what his accomplishments are going to be and why they're going to be, why they're going to involve Starfleet and outer space is a big part of the book, I think. That's really where I start, is like trying to figure that out. Figure that out that doesn't contradict what we already know about Picard and from the writers and the shows, but also Patrick's incredible portrayal of him. And, um, but also is going to relate to a reader as like, oh, that's kind of like me. Oh, I understand that. I, my brother bullied me or... Um, I couldn't fit, make my, get my father's approval or whatever. Yeah, I really appreciated that aspect because, like you say, we get little hints of that and that sort of thing. And, you know, we see that relationship with his brother come to a head in the episode Family. And I also really liked the idea, because we know that Picard's family history is so important to him, the idea of uh, him being one of the Picards on that wall and being the first Picard to leave the solar system. I thought was a really interesting tack to take with that. You know, the interesting piece of history of that was my first book, which was the Federation of the first 150 years. Uh, the guy who runs the website, uh, Trek movie pointed out to me that I had a mistake in there. Cause I mentioned this guy Picard who, but I never say in the book that he's a relative of Jean-Luc Picard, but that was my intention when I wrote the book but Anthony over Anthony Pascal over Trek Movie said, well, Nemesis says that he's the only Picard who's ever left the galaxy, so this guy can't be his relative. And I said, ah, you're right. Uh, but that put it in my head of like, oh, maybe wanting to be the first Picard to leave the solar system 
was an important thing for him. And I think uh, that that plays obviously a big role in the book. So you think it's because of his relationship with his brother and father that he wanted to go out and explore and get away in this and visit, you know, other planets and such and join Starfleet because of that family relationship and that dynamic, not just because he was born to always want to go to space. Right. I wanted to say that here's this guy and he's trapped in this relationship at home where the vineyard is everything and he can't, his brother's a few years older than him. He's already better at knowing how the vineyard works. This vineyard has been passed down through generations. It's the source of his father's greatest pride and the pride of passing it on to his son or sons. And John Luke, who's an ambitious kid, can't compete. So instead he changes the game and says, I'm gonna go do this. And I, that, that I think is something that a lot of people have to do in their family dynamic, which is if you have an older brother or sister who already has figured out how to get the lion's share of approval from a parent, who's always going to be the biggest figure in a home, uh, then you might have to figure out a different way to get that approval. And that's sort of what he was trying to do. He was trying to be a great man. And the only way he could thought to do it was to go out into space, you know, and then obviously he's a, he's a scientist, he's interested, all those things come into play later. Uh, but I, that that's where it started as a child. Yeah, I mean, that was probably one of my uh, favorite aspects of the book was his relationship with his father and his brother and even his mother. I mean, she played a p part in this, too. Uh, I really enjoyed that piece of it. But there's so much to Jean-Luc Picard that we've learned in the show and the movies. So when you were sitting down to write this book, did you go back and rewatch things or or do you know it so well that you're just going off the top of your head? <laughs> I know it pretty well. Um I do need to go back, like I did need to go back and watch We'll Always Have Paris, because that's an episode I hadn't watched a lot, but it's a piece of, and i try trying to figure out where Janice fit in, and I'm really proud of what I came up with for that, because it fit in, I thought, really nicely. Uh, you know, uh, I watched Family again, because that really is, that. there's lots of detail in there that's really important. And then I wanted to make sure that I got right. Um, you know, and then I watched Nemesis again, just because there's stuff about young Picard in there because of Shinzon. And, uh, but in general, I, I did not need to do a lot of rewatching. I watched, you know, the episodes having to do with the Academy, just, to, you know, because of Boothby and what that story was about. And, you know, there's all sorts of places where, where, the history, Picard history stuff, I would go back and take a look at. But in general, I'm very familiar with Next Generation. I watch, watch the episodes a lot, continue to watch them over again. And uh, it was a little, book was a little harder than the Kirk book in that sense because I'm, I've got many more years of being an original Star Trek fan under my belt. So uh, in this case, I, I had to do a little more research. And, and I have I use the Akuda's encyclopedia, which it had just come out when I started writing. So that, the new version, and it's a great book. And and also then I'll call them or I'll email them. I have a, my own little sort of uh, group of people who I email: Mike Okuda and Denise Okuda and uh, um, Dave Rossi, who got me my first 
book and then uh, Andre Baranis and I'll ask and Mike Sussman I'll sort of send a group email hey if I'm going to try and fill in a bit of history do you feel like this contradicts anything and it's always interesting discussion yeah we had Mike and Denise Akuda on the show when the encyclopedia came out that thing is so heavy I still have back problems from lifting that thing (laughs) it's a crazy crazy book but I but I love it and they threw me in there a couple times so I love that Nice. Well, one of the things with The Next Generation, certainly I think compared with the original series too, is the sheer amount of screen time that these characters have gotten. I mean, you've got seven years as opposed to the original three and then plus four films. Um, What was like the kind of later chapters, which are the parts of Picard's life that we know about, we've seen a lot about, what was your kind of process of sifting through that information and kind of distilling down uh, important moments for that character? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think that my the biggest the biggest criticism I got on the Kirk book was when I was dealing with episodes of movies that it felt sort of rushed or not not as good as the rest of the book. And so, in this case. And I think that, interestingly, I think that although we have so much screen time with Picard, it's actually a very short period of his life because he's much older when he takes command of the Enterprise D than Kirk was when he took command of the Enterprise. So uh, it's much less of the book than the Kirk book was uh, because the book... So in this case, I was really, at this point, really talking about, like, what what are those important relationships and what episodes or the events of what specific episodes affected the relationship? So it's Picard and Beverly, because we find out in Attached, season seven, that Picard has always been in love with Beverly. And that reverberates back. So I I reverberate backward in that book, in my book, because and and establish that because this is now we're in time, we're in Picard's head when he first meets Beverly, when he's captain of the Stargazer. You know, and then how does that affect him when he's captain of the Enterprise, that he's got this woman who he's in love with? Uh, that, to me, is a really important piece of the book. And that ended up sort of guiding me to um, what what pieces of the Next Generation episodes I wanted to take. The Q is obviously a very important piece of it. So the establishment of that relationship with Q, um, Wesley, uh, Wesley being the son of his dead closest friend, and, and why he put Wesley at the helm was a really important piece of it, um, which I thought was a great way. There's sort of little slightly in-jokes of in the book for for that I don't break the reality, but I sort of say, I got much criticism for putting Wesley at the helm. And I don't know that Picard got much criticism, but fans would criticize it. And I was sort of saying, but then I give a reason why that I think is really kind of touching. Uh, I don't know how you guys felt about that. Do you remember the reason why he put Wesley at the helm? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, of course, that was the position that his father had on the Stargazer, which I thought was brilliant. I loved that. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And honestly, it's not my idea. It was a conversation with Mike Sussman uh, who mentioned that as an idea and gave it to me. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, because then, then you get it. Totally you get it. That like Picard is like trying to recapture something. I just love that, and uh, and and uh, you know, so so that's that was sort of important too. And I wanted to create a sense of, you know, I wanted to try to capture that sense of 
camaraderie with the crew. Uh, so for instance, I spent a little more time uh, in the two-parter where they go back to the 19th century and meet Mark Twain, because I wanted to create a sense of like, oh, you got Jordy there and, and uh, uh, Troy and, you know, sort of creating this sort of ensemble, uh, you know, but also that's where he meets Guinan in the past. And that obviously reverberates in the story as well. Yeah, and I just want to mention to those listening, I mean, we're really going to start at this point really getting into more spoilers. So if you haven't read it, go read it, come back. But those who read it, we're going to go deeper into this. And one thing I want to say is I really like what you were saying about the character of Wesley and putting him at the helm and the reasons behind that. Also, I loved how you worked in how why Picard doesn't like children on the enterprise i mean that to me on the stargazer what he had to deal with boy i was just like me i would probably turn out to be just like yeah. jean-luc picard in that situation well, you know, and, and it's so interesting because you know you just you know that was just said in encounters powerpoint he says it there and then there's a couple episodes of the first season referencing it and then you know you do disaster in season five which kind of reflects on it as well but they sort of lose it it sort of gets lost in the series, but then I, but you know, Picard says it. it well, the first thing he's one of the first things he says to Riker is, uh, "They gave me a ship with children aboard, and I don't like children." So I wanted a reason that made that made sense that this, you know, and then and and where I go because I'm a parent, and what I what always drives me nuts, even when I was a parent, but especially since I am one, is bad par other parents who don't control their kids yeah. so that that just like drives me out of my mind who parents who don't necessarily see that their kid is doing dangerous things or or just being really annoying or whatever they are doing where they're not parenting and i thought how interesting would that be if picard had to deal with that with a superior officer who had his kids on the ship and the kids were you know assholes so. <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i thought that that was a fun a really fun thing and a fun reason and, and it legitimized his like hatred of having kids aboard i thought yeah oh i mean i hated these kids i mean <laughs> it was just like they were so Absolutely. annoying and it's like yeah who would want kids on the bridge after having that experience yeah well that scene you know that scene i just it's one of my favorite scenes that i wrote was uh you know, one of the kids is, is sitting in his chair on the bridge and won't get up. And I just think that's like, and it's his superior officer's kid. How does he handle this? And I was very happy with the solution I came up with. But I also like the struggle that he had in that situation is just like, I thought I felt like so real it makes him really real. It's really funny because like we've seen the character, you know, fighting foes and, and going through emotional traumas and all this stuff. And I have to admit that part of the book right there, I was going, oh, my God, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's a it's a you know, it's a it's a it's a difficult one of one of the one of the shows I worked on and one of the actors brought their dog in the office and the dog like. It's like peeing all over the place. Like it's like we can't do anything. We can't. <laughs> well, and and I have to admit that's one thing that I hadn't really considered in comparing this one to uh, the autobiography of James T. Kirk. Is Picard does have a much longer career in Starfleet, so there is kind of this really rich backstory. 
And, you know, we, we get it told to us that he's in command of the Stargazer for 20 years. But I think your book really gives us a feel for what that's like. Like, that's two decades on the same ship. Uh, well, as captain of the same ship, and he had a bit of a career before that on the ship as well. So that that rich backstory that you're able to fill that in with, I never really thought that in comparison, yeah, there is a lot more there to explore. Yeah, you know, and I feel bad. I know that there have been other authors who've taken a stab at the Stargazer stuff, and I've read a couple of reviews on my Amazon page uh, where people are upset that I'm not being filling that continuity. And... Uh, and I feel bad for readers who are going to read this and expect that I'm going to connect the, this book to that. I, do, I don't, because in this case, I'm sort of, I'm trying to figure out something else when I'm writing about the Stargazer. So we're on the Enterprise, and when we hear about the Stargazer on in Next Generation, it's a rust bucket. You know, he talks about it's always on the verge of falling apart. Uh, and, and that's why he describes it to Scotty in, in Relics. And... Um, uh, and, and and then we see the ship, you know, obviously in the battle um, episode. But I had to stop and think, okay, he's why is he going to stay on that ship for 20 years? It's a really long time in Star Trek terms with five-year missions and stuff, like 20 years. And I read the Gene Roddenberry's Bible for the original, for Next Generation, and he writes it in this sort of glowing ways he's had this enormous success and as an explorer and whatever but i felt and i don't contradict that he obviously has enormous successes but i also wanted a personal reason why is picard going to stay in that job and sort of what i come up with you know i think you know what i came up with like there's a moment where he can leave where he does leave you know but that the job he's sort of takes is not on the bridge of a ship and he and he sort of takes the the easy way out, like just just put me back on that ship, and here's why. And he and he gets there, and and you see that that second half of that that second half of the term on the Stargazer is like it's not really very good. It's like he he, but but and and it ties in also to Janice and and all that too. Uh, but I wanted it interesting. I wanted like a character who's going to a flawed character who's going to make a decision. Uh, that might be not be in his best interest. I mean, I think we do that all the time too. I think most of us make quick decisions and it's like, no, 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 let's just do it this way. And then you realize, oh, if I'd just been a little more patient, maybe things would have been better. Uh, but, and I wanted something of that because I think people can really relate to that as well. How spoily do I get in this? I don't remember. Should I get, should I talk literally about what I wrote? Or I At mean, this point, I yes, you can go right into it. Dig in deep. You know, in that case, it was really about, you know, he 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 felt he was he was at home. He was going to be chief of staff for Admiral Hansen, and this was going to be an important job, sort of setting up the fleet, dealing with what was going to be a major coming conflict with the Klingons, and that tie, that ties in historically with, you know, what we know about the attack on Kinemer and and uh, and the Ranger Three, and um, you know that 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 that. Starfleet sort of saw that coming. And to me, the idea that Picard is like, he has his desk job and then he's fall, fallen in love with this woman. And I had to, the, the other thing is if you go watch, you only have Paris. We only have, we will always have Paris. It's a weird way I said that. We, we, go watch, we, we will always have Paris. 
Picard tells a story about leaving her at that, that Cafe des Artistes. He's a real pig. I mean, this woman shows up. He doesn't call her. He doesn't say, I'm not going to be there. He doesn't say, I'm leaving. And if you think about that, in the context of that episode, you sort of blow by it because it's like, well, it's Picard and he's on the ship. And obviously, but you think about that in real life, a guy doing that to a woman. And I realize that when you're writing that in a book, like you got to justify that. And he's got to be upset about what a he was to her. But he also, you have to understand why he did that. And it was like, he was worried about getting sucked back into a life on earth, which is not what he wanted anymore. He wanted now, he wanted, he was Picard the Explorer. He wanted to be out there on that ship and he wanted to be doing stuff on that ship. And rather than waiting for a new ship, new ship of the line to get off the assembly line, he took sort of the easy way out and got back on the Stargazer. And, you know, that to me was like, that's how, that feels real to me. That feels like, oh, okay, I get that. It's as opposed to, part of the thing about writing these autobiographies is that the Star Trek universe can tend to be pretty perfect, you know, in terms of people's careers and people's lives. And But the writing an autobiography, I think you got to have some ups and downs and in order to make the book interesting. Otherwise, it's going to be dull. And you want people to be able to relate to your main character in a way maybe they haven't well, and him leaving the cafe is a very much a Picard thing to do because they're very bullheaded in that family. It's like with the right. vineyard, it's like, you know, that's my focus and that's what I'm going to do. And for yeah. Picard or Jean-Luc Picard, it's I'm an explorer. Right, right. No, I think that's absolutely right. Well, another thing that I, I feel like this rich backstory that we get with Picard, another thing that kind of allows you to do is explore a lot of the other characters that make up the Star Trek universe. I mean, we've got, uh, like, we get appearances by Admiral Hansen, like you've mentioned, Admiral Ross, or future Admiral Ross, I guess, Admiral Brand, all of these uh, all of these characters. And I thought it was really interesting how they were kind of peppered through the story and you get the feel for these career officers that you see later on. And for me, what really works with this book and what I think is something that I'm going to take away from it is uh, the context that it adds to a lot of rewatches of those episodes of the next generation and that sort of thing. So just as, as an example, the battle of Wolf three, five, nine, we get Picard committing, you know, these, these horrible actions, not, not on his own, like not um, on purpose, but under the control of the Borg. And you hear that, you know, he's killed friends and all this kind of stuff, but to really put faces to these people that he ends up uh, being in his mind, partially responsible for the death of is just like very heartbreaking. And I, I love that it adds that added weight and added context to scenes that, you know, we as Star Trek fans have probably seen dozens of times by now. Yeah. And I was really sort of taking that number. Thank you. There's taking that number that, that, uh, Nora Satie says in Drumhead about that he killed 11,000 people. And it's like, these are Starship captains, Starship crews. He's, he realized he's got to know a lot of these people personally. Like, that's something that is never touched on. Uh, it's touched on in terms of a little bit in family, a little bit about how they took him apart and he didn't get, he couldn't, he wasn't strong enough to stand up to them. But you never deal with 
And that's that was probably you know you asked me where I started with the book, and now you made me remember that I started with, oh, I'm going to write a book where I'm going to introduce a lot of new characters, and most of them are going to be killed in Wolf Three Five Nine, and that that is going to be part of this guy's story for the second half of his life, like living, the living with the 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 role he played in the death, and I thought that that's like a great sort of experience for a reader too is that you're meeting these people who you may never have heard of again and then you realize some of them are gonna some of them are gonna die some of them die at wolf 359 and you know there's a weird way in which i don't want to fully say who does but i also feel like you know you know i, I actually i'm probably giving something away but i think that to me those two characters his two best friends in tapestry you know, uh, that to me was like, why have we never heard of these people again? And I think, well, maybe he killed them at Wolf 359. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. If they were Starfleet officers, his year, they were most likely captains. And that means that, that there's a chance they were on one of those 40 ships that died that, died that day. Yeah, that was a, that was kind of a gut punch moment for sure. And Speaking of adding additional context, when he when Q snaps him back in Tapestry and he sees them, you know, like it's just so much more meaning added to that now. Oh, I I love that. Yeah, no, that's a, a touch. You know, it's a it's you know, and then I, obviously I wanted you know I the, the other thing about Stargazer thinking back about the context, you know, is all right. Well, we we know who he served with. You know, we know Jack Crusher and. We don't know that Walker Keel was on Stargazer, but since Picard says they were, you know, joined at the hip, the three of them, it seemed natural to put him there. Um, and uh, and then I just started to think about Beverly, you know, that how does he meet Beverly? You know, that it's like he's got to, um, it makes sense that she might, you know, she might have at some point been on the Stargazer. Never said anywhere that she wasn't. Um but then also then, so you're sort of getting the context of their relationship on on the next generation. You get the context of, of their backstory and their connection and how they end up being friends, the way they end up being friends in that show. And, um, but yeah, no, and, and it, Star Trek history is something I've always been interested in, like filling in the gaps of the history. So when I, again, sitting down to write the book, you know, you know that, Narendra 3 and the attack on Kittimer happened 20-something years before uh, the beginning of Next Generation. Well, Picard's in Starfleet then. So that means that Klingons were still a big deal to in the Federation. So what's going on? Like, why? Why, why after the events of Undiscovered Country, why didn't that Kittimer Accord fix everything? What happened? And sort of filling in, like, you know, what the Klingons, the role they were playing. And then, you know, Admiral Brand, you brought up Admiral Brand, and I'm really proud of, uh, she gives this briefing in the book that I'm really proud of that, uh, a thing that I thought of, which is that after the Klingons, uh, you know, sort of after after the events of Undiscovered Country, there was a bit of a, of a glasnost, you know, an openness between Federation and Klingons. And that Federation intelligence would have used that time to learn everything they could about the Klingon fleet. And so that by the time of Picard is, you know, a young captain, 
the Federation knows every where every Klingon ship is. And even with the cloaking device, they know that a ship is eventually going to uh, come out of cloak and they are using their sensors and they know where every ship is. And to me, that was cool. I thought that was a cool idea that I came up with, which was, you know, even with peace, the Federation intelligence wouldn't have like taken that lying down. They would have said, okay, these people still might end up being our enemy. We need to know everything we can about them. And that obviously plays a role in, in what happens in terms of the attack on Kittimer and Narendra Three. And that's one place I did not fully adhere to the uh, to Yakuda's book. I have them happening on the same day, even though in the book they don't. But I it didn't make any sense to me that the Klingons would have two surprise attacks um, and separate them. I just, it made, it made more sense for my storytelling for them to happen. At once. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And, and I, I'm glad you went there with the Klingons because at first I was, you know, taken aback from it. Just the fact that I was thinking, well, you know, isn't the Federation kind of at peace with them, but you're right. It's like, even though the Kittimer happened, they still have to kind of watch things. They can't just like sit back and go, everything's cool now and we can relax. But yeah, they're going to be tracking their ships. They're going to be seeing what they're doing. Yeah. And then you just remember yesterday's enterprise that like without the, without the enterprise C defending Narendra three Federation Klingons ended up in a 20 year war. And it's like, well, that means that they were about to go to war yeah. <laughs> when when Rachel Garrett, you know, went to defend the the uh, the Ranger Three, that means that there were events right before they went to war that would lead them to believe they were going to go to war. Like there was, you know, and that to me is like that was another thing sort of to figure out too. Is like, oh wait a second, if if the Enterprise C hadn't sacrificed itself in the Ranger Three, Klingons the Federation would have been at war, and. That was really an important thing. That played an important role in my constructing the story. Yeah, and I also like that Rachel Garrett wasn't the only captain of the sea, that there was a previous captain to her. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and you know, the, the, I take some liberties there, you know, but, like, you know, Picard is on, gets to be on, as a cadet, is on the Enterprise C for this trip to, you know, and uh, I wanted to, you know, I, I liked that idea. Again, there was nothing in canon that, said he couldn't have been and the enterprise c was like the flagship at that moment you know and uh i made it you know captain hansen admiral Han future admiral hansen that's where he meets picard and and i had fun i think constructing picard's academy years so th so that we understood why they became uh friends well and in the episode serica the next generation we learned that picard was at spock's wedding so I thought it was interesting that you chose Spock marrying a human. Why did you go that direction? Well, I don't actually say, if you notice, I'm very clever, <laughs> and I don't actually say who he's going to marry. Right. Who, um, who was it then? <laughs> uh, well, you'll find out. The Spock book is, I'm writing the Spock book now, and uh, that scene is now, the Spock book connects the first, the Spock autobiography connects the first two books. There'll be scenes, individual scenes that are in, that were in each of those books that will be now from Spock's point of view in this book. Right. Not a lot, a couple just to connect them all. And um, I felt, uh, here's why I decided to do that. I wanted a human wedding. 
And I don't know why Spock would have a wedding. Like I met him at his son's wedding. Okay, so why is Picard at that's the line, is that he says in Sarah, I met him at his son's wedding. So I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, why would any why would if it's a Vulcan wedding, right? Vulcan weddings happen, you know, with the gong and and with and with the Lurpas and you know, it's not a wet it's not a wedding in the why would a cadet be at a Vulcan wedding? Like, it, it didn't make any sense to me. And so the only reason that I felt like, okay, well then Spock has to be marrying a woman. And it's got to be pretty late in his life because it's like, you know, it's it's well after the events, you know, Kirk is dead and it's well after the events of the movies and the original series movies. And so it really came from a place of, all right, well, I have to justify why there's a Starfleet cadet at this wedding. I didn't want him to be the only cadet there. I wanted it to be a reason, you know, he just happens to be part of this group of cadets who, who are acting as an honor guard. I don't think a Vulcan wedding would have an honor, a Starfleet honor guard. I just don't. I think it would be, you know, what we know of Vulcan from a mock time is, you know, it's a, it's a very for lack of a better word, religious kind of wedding. And so in order for there to be Starfleet forget, I felt like he needed to, Spock needed to be marrying a non-Vulcan. I, I decided on human because Spock's had human relationships. His dad's had a couple of human relationships. And, you know, and, and, and you know, Sarek is there. And why would Sarek be talking to a cadet again, again at a Vulcan wedding? He wouldn't. And I wanted to come up with a funny conversation for them. I, I I love the news that we're getting a, a Spock autobiography. That's really cool. <laughs> no, it's fun. It's a it's a different book than the other two. The other two, you know, they're captains and their careers are driven by you know why you command starships. And Spock is he's driven by something else. Like he's driven as a kind of an outsider trying to find his home. But we'll talk about that after. Excellent. Well, I wanted to ask: Were there any? avenues of Picard's past uh, that while you were writing this book kind of surprised you that, uh, you know, kind of directions that the story took you that you maybe weren't expecting when you started out? Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, to me, I think like I, I was surprised. Well, I, I, I definitely was surprised at how much meat I could find with Picard being in love with Beverly. I was worried about that when I started because, you know, Beverly Crusher as a character, I feel is like, I, I, I like her, but I feel like I don't know her. Uh, and I felt like the show didn't really give you a lot of information that made you understand her character. They gave you backstory. They gave you, you know, growing up in the colony and her relationship with Wesley and, whatever, but we didn't understand, we never really understood the marriage to Jack Crusher because we never got to see Jack Crusher. And so I think to, to me was like the fact that I could find some meat that I can make Picard wistful for this woman and, and make a reader feel that, okay, this is Beverly Crusher, but maybe in a way we haven't seen her before. Um, that, that always surprised me. Anytime I can pull off romance, I'm, I'm surprised. So that that was one thing. The other thing that was like kind of fun and surprised me as a solution was okay, I've got, I've got to write Jack Crusher. And again, all we have is that 
all we, we've only seen him is that one actor in Family, a holograph talking to Wesley. And he's sincere and he's nice, but you don't get any sense of a character. And then I thought, well, you know, he's probably a lot like Wesley. He's, a, he's probably a real smart guy. Like he's kind of a bit of a genius. And he's probably um, sincere. And he's probably, which goes with what we saw, but it's like, and that told, that gave me a little something too, of like, because that's not who Picard is. Picard, especially as a young man, as he's been painted, is more of an adventurer. And that gave me a fun, I think a fun, I was worried when I started out of like, well, what is that relationship going to be? And as I was writing, I'm like, coming up with the idea of, oh, make him a little like Wesley, make him really, really smart. And then he's really valuable to Picard as his, as his, on his, on his ship. And then he can really rely on this guy. And that's where the friendship starts to get born. And so that, that, that was interesting that to, to come up with that as a solution. Cause I don't, I've never read anything where I felt anybody captured something that made me feel like I knew, I know Jack Crush. And, and this was, I thought, a, a solution that really made sense. And that then, you know, he's, Jack is crazy in love with Beverly. And that tells you why Picard is going to keep this to himself because this guy's important to him. And he, I'm in love with Beverly too, but I'm never going to tell him and I'm never going to compete with him because he's this sort of sincere guy, uh, very smart guy. And, he's, you know, Picard's a good friend. Well, there was one part that stuck out to me too uh, that I wanted to bring up in chapter nine. And this is when Picard is talking about his mind meld with Sarek. And there's one little part that just kind of jumps out. It says, Visions of the aftermath of an explosion, fire and rubble everywhere, while the panicked voice of, of Amanda implored me to save her. Now, I'm curious what this might be in reference to. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's funny. I wrote the book and I hadn't seen Discovery yet. I, you know, the book finished well before the career and I, I, you know, I don't have access, you know, I, I'm friendly with my people at CBS Consumer Products, but I, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I, they were keeping everything under wraps and uh, the guy at Consumer Products gave me that as, you know, I rewrote it a little bit, but he gave me a little bit to put in there just just as a little connection to Discovery for for the fans of Discovery who, who uh might read the book and I was thrilled. I mean, uh, I love, you know, it's important to, it's important to connect to all the canon. And so I like the idea that there's a little something in there for somebody who likes discovery. That is so awesome because we were talking before the show and I was like, I thought that too, Dan, but I don't know. How would David know? He's not really part of the show. Like, you know, but there you go. No, I was, yeah, I was given I was get, I was given a little bit of something like here's something that happens. Maybe you want to put this into the Sarek mind meld, and I'm I was thrilled to do it. One thing this scene did was uh, that really surprised me was made me realize how much how really cool I think an autobiography of Sarek would be. I think that's probably a little bit too niche, maybe, but uh, like as a big fan, I'd love to see it. Yeah, well, didn't AC Crispin wrote a Sarek book way back when? Uh, but um, uh, yeah, the Spock book, I mean, you're going to get, I mean, Spock had a lot of mind melds, so there's going to be a lot of, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of, 
a lot of mind meld stuff in that. Uh, but anyway, but uh, yeah, Sarek would be interesting, but I don't think your hope, my hope with these books, and I think it really was true with the, with the Kirk book, uh, that a lot of people who, like you guys and me, like we read these books, you know, we're going to read these books, but you want to write a book that maybe somebody who's just a more casual fan might also read. And I, I definitely had that with the Kirk book. Like there were a lot of people who were Star Trek fans, but not fans the way we are, uh, who read it, enjoyed it. And, and that's why I wrote the Picard book too, which is there are a lot of people who watch Next Generation. And if they saw this book and started reading it, I was hoping that they, they might find their way in. But then, I, but then I also always, I have to make sure that people like us read it and don't find anything upsetting. Like, Excuse my language. <laughs> right, because you're sticking with what you're saying, canon, the TV shows and, and the films. So you're not really, you know, tying together other, you know, fiction novels and such necessarily, except maybe Countdown, the comic, because when we see a future of Picard, he's an ambassador, Data's kept in the Enterprise. Was there influence from that? Yeah, absolutely. I went to that. I like that comic book and I liked I think I needed you know I needed to come up with a way to you know and I think that there were people who don't want to tie to the JJ films and I don't really uh, because this, everything that's happening in my book happens in the prime universe but I also liked I liked the idea I liked I liked the first JJ movie and I and I liked the backstory of Spock you know trying to save Romulus and failing and I hated that they called it a supernova because the supernova is only going to affect one system. So obviously I put a lot of effort into creating something that might be called a supernova, but, you know, but would affect more than one star system. And, uh, and I set that up earlier in the book with the, the mission that Data and Picard are on earlier in the book. Um, but, but yeah, no, I was definitely, I liked Countdown a lot. I thought it was a great comic. I thought it set up nicely. I loved that Jordy built the, you know, the, the Spock ship. I loved, you know, uh, so I, I, uh, I definitely was, was influenced by that. And then I think I used the um, L Lieutenant Eric's species, the same species as the, the doctor on the Stargazer and, that's probably the only, I mean, I guess animated series is canon. It's not fully canon, but I, I like, always like that, that species. And there probably are other, actually, now that I think about it, now I may have forgotten them, but there, there may be other, because I've read a lot of the books and, you know, I, the things I like, I sort of pick and choose, but, um, uh, but I, I can't remember any inspirations right now. Maybe, did you guys pick up any others? Um, nothing directly that I, I thought of myself. Yeah. Um, I can't think I know, of anything like you right now. Let's go yeah. reread it right now and find out. <laughs> oh, you know what I did with the Zenkethi? I, I, uh, I took their description. I described them off of, um, it was a video game description of them. I think. Yes. Like, I, I think that was like, I was trying to figure out, okay, I wanted to do something, want to reference the Zenkethi because the Zenkethi War has been mentioned in Deep Space Nine, so I wanted some mention of them, and I used them, obviously, in a great sequence. 
and I'd like, well, let me see if somebody else has done some work describing these people. And I think I got it from a, a video game, I think. Yeah, like Star Trek Online, maybe? Yeah, maybe. I think yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's that as well. Like, Well, I know you mentioned that there's some fans out there that were kind of upset that uh, you didn't use uh, more things from the Star Trek literary universe, which... I mean, we're we're a show about Star Trek books and comics, so, you know, we, we have to mention it. But to me, I want to, you know, for all the people out there that might be kind of uh, put off by that, I like to think of it as we get bonus stories. So we get we get different perspectives on the universe and, you know, everything might not mesh together perfectly, but that's kind of a good thing because you get more story that way you get a different interpretation you get these bonus stories and if it's just kind of a retelling of what's come before you know that's no fun i love that you kind of put your own mark on this and and take it in unexpected directions such as for example uh spock's wedding was something that i totally wasn't expecting and you know when i got into that i was like well that's weird i remember this novel oh right no that's a novel that's non-canon this has exactly the same weight as that does. Right. In a certain way, I, you know, and again, you sort of hear my reasoning, which is like, well, why would Picard be at a Vulcan wedding? It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and, I, you know, that's where I bumped, like, you know, as a, as a fan. I'm like, what I understand of Vulcan, it's like, it's a closed, these are closed society. It's not. So anyway, so the, 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 that's how I think about it. I mean, I'm, not th- I'm trying to sell the story. Like, I'm sure, and I didn't read, uh, the, the, I guess it's Vulcan's Heart or whatever that other one where he marries Savick is. Uh, I didn't read those books. And I'm sure that the authors had good explanations of why Picard is there. But I, I didn't want to have to have a big explanation of that. Uh, to me, I wanted that to be a fun reason. And I have a, you know, this is the first time he, he meets McCoy. And it's, you know, it's McCoy's bringing these cadets to this wedding. And, you know, I just... I wanted the fun of that scene without any, a lot of explanation. Awesome. Well, we know that, like you've mentioned, we've got the Spock autobiography coming. Is there anything else that you're currently working on that our listeners might be interested in hearing a bit about? Well, I'm one of the executive producers of the Orville. I mean, they may be, there may be a few Star Trek fans watching that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and uh, we're hoping for a second season. Uh, the show's doing very well. Uh, you know, it's a fun, also a fun universe to work on, and I'm hoping I can convince somebody that we do Orville books. So that would, wouldn't that be fun to fill? Because I, these are great ways to sort of fill it. As you say, you get bonus stories. I mean, that that's sort of like, like for instance, like the one line in Tapestry where Q says you saved the ambassador's life on uh, on that planet. You know, obviously that's a big that's a big sequence in this book. And it's and it's it affects his career, but also the details of that were so much fun to me to do. Like, okay, how does it work? What's he doing? What's his situation on the ship? Why did it change his career? What was going on with him career-wise that this this rescue of this ambassador would would change things? And as you say, it's a bonus story. So uh, if we got to you know that if you have fans. We, we all fans like to fill in those blanks, you know, in the world, like, and, uh, or have them filled in for them by other fans. So, so that's, I, I take a lot of pleasure that I get to do this. Well, uh, do you know when about we might 
expect to see the Spock autobiography? Yeah, it'll be out the same this time next year. I mean, uh, uh, pretty, I've got to get it done soon, and and uh, I hope people like it. You know, it's different. He's not human, so I've got to paint uh, life on Vulcan, and I got to create, you know, his career, and there's a lot longer, a lot bigger number of years to cover with Spock. He, but he also lives through. You know his his story carries us from original series to next generation, and I'm having fun wrestling with that. Like, what? How is that? You know. But then also, um, his is a big father story too. I mean, the the from you get from unification, even at the that part of his life, he's still talking about his relationship with Sarek, and that's a. Uh, obviously a big and they covered that a little bit in discovery a couple of weeks ago too which was you know so it's interesting interesting stuff to wrestle with and then writing a show, a, mo a book from the character of a of an alien that's new uh and i hope i i hope people like it. i think the people the thing that advantage i have as a television writer is that i'm used to jumping into the voices of of other people's characters. And so I think, I mean, it's obviously for up to you guys to tell me, but I felt like the Kirk book and the Picard book captured their voices. And so I got to do that with Spock as well. So before we let you go, I mean, I'm, cause I know you got to go back and work on the Orville. Is there anything you want to tease or, or, or promote about the Orville to the listeners of, uh, so, so we've got, a, you know, by the time this is aired, our episodes eight and nine, will have aired and you'll get to see uh, just some crazy great stuff. The show is really now we've kind of built our base and now we're, we're, we're showing the show's potential about, you know, we can focus on a couple of characters or we can have our characters really um, have experiences that you wouldn't expect. Uh, so probably around the time this one drops is one of our greatest, scariest, episodes it's it's this it's this uh episode on the ship that i think it's our episode uh, 10 um and i've now gone up on the title of it but it's uh uh it's two weeks from tomorrow so whatever that date is uh let me just look it up quickly um it's on yeah november 16th that episode is a not miss episode that's you know we're all I, i'm very proud of everything we've done and they're all great that one i think especially star trek fans there's stuff in there for them that i think they're gonna love so excellent well can't wait to check that one out that sounds exciting uh in the meantime is there anywhere online that uh our listeners might be able to follow you and kind of keep up to date on what's going on with you. You know, I'm only on, I'm on Twitter and I, I mostly just do Trump jokes. So I don't know that that's <laughs> something your fans are interested in. Although I just post things about the book. Uh, but, uh, but anybody who follows me on Twitter and anybody wants to communicates with me, I, I do communicate with people, especially fans of my books. So if you're a fan of my book and you want to talk about my book and I, I definitely go on like, um, trekmovie.com sometimes and read comments and I every once in a while I'll I'll post there but I don't I don't have a website or anything so you think I should you think I should have a website do most of your <laughs> authors have websites where people can go 
Uh, a few of them do. Some of them, uh, some of them actually have very little web presence at all. I think Kirsten Beyer, uh, for example, um, she's not even on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. Well, she's on Discovery now, so she's fun. <laughs> yeah, she's she's doing well. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is a really fun read and really great discussion. And I I hope everyone out there, if you haven't already, pick this one up. Uh, it's a lot of fun and gives a lot of insight into one of my favorite Star Trek characters of all time. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on, Anna. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. It's always so much fun. Yeah, thank you. Well, number one, I really enjoyed that interview. This is not my impersonation of Jean-Luc Picard, by the way. I'm just kind of just kind of like going there I, anyway <laughs> <laughs> i liked it i liked it it wasn't no, it really was... impersonate like i would have been more like you know number one but no <laughs> <laughs> no it's good it's good i you know i yeah i mean you have an authority figure such as picard and and this this tome that's so weighty and and uh resplendent with his memories and musings you know you feel like you want to have an air of uh professionalism and 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 i don't know weight to it at the end here so i appreciate what you were going for there sometimes i feel like when if i imitate jean-luc picard i feel like i sound more like wharf with a british accent <laughs> <laughs> oh that's excellent well this week wharf with a british accent is not all we've been talking about on the network so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm Previously on Trek.fm, the 602 Club. I know, I, I went all in. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, if I, if it came up short, I think there was going to be a lot of screen caps with a lot of people. I think even on podcasts, I've been <laughs> throwing it all out. Oh, this is going to be one of the best. Trust me on this one. Yeah, Thor 2, ignore that. This one will be the, the bee's knees, as it were. So, yeah, there was a lot of pressure. <laughs> I don't think just on Marvel and Taiki Watiti, uh, but on me and myself with my, uh, my audacious claims. Warp 5. I tweeted John Billingsley last night while I was watching this episode. I'm like, I gotta admit, if I'm alone on the ship, I'm walking around naked too. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Alright. So that was like my next question, just getting that. And Brandon's already answered it, which, you know, I thought that would probably be his answer. To the journey! I always want to know, why haven't they done a Gardener Forever movie in general? I, I, for me, that's like a, such a cool go-to oh, concept. Yeah. Like, if you're going to make a Star Trek movie, get the Guardian of Forever in there. That would be awesome. And no one has ever thought that was cool enough to do yet. So yeah. we're doing it. Yeah, I mean, it never really gets reprised that much, does it? Except, obviously, in the animated series. Uh, well, you do get the Iconian gateways later, which are a similar sort of concept, aren't they? But, but not the same. Well, they don't talk back to you. <laughs> I don't think you can travel through time with those, can you? I think they're more just space. The final frontier. These are the... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Meta Treks. I'm feeling a Star Trek Stranger Things mashup, where Spock starts playing with the lights on the Enterprise, and <laughs> Captain Captain Kirk strings a bunch of Christmas lights around his quarters, and that, that's actually what happened in that episode of the Next Generation when there are those the dark matter pockets. That was actually Spock just messing with him. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. 
You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. We haven't had one in a while. We'd love to get one and read it on the show. And if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. Literary Treks, like all of the rest of the shows on the Trek FM network, are of course free. But if you would like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can really help us out by becoming a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all of the details. Perks can include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce and distribute these shows each month, and we really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. We are not Deanna Troy, we can't read your mind, so but we want to hear your thoughts. And there are many ways for you to do that. The best place is to join in the larger conversation in the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select literary tricks that will come right to us and you can also find the network on twitter at trek fm and on facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm you can also find us on our goodreads group where we have bookshelves of all of our previously covered books as well as the currently reading section so you know what's coming up for future shows you can follow along with us and make sure you're keeping up to date with what we're reading and there are always of course great conversations happening about all the books and comics in the star trek literary universe just search for literary treks on goodreads and click join group We'd like to thank our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Chemutala, and Justin Ozer for their support of the Trek FM network and literary treks in particular. Now, Bruce, when you're not abandoning the stargazer and drifting for weeks in shuttlecraft hoping for rescue, where can we find you? Well, you can rescue me at Live from the Edge right here on the network. It, we do it live coverage of the Discovery episode that came out on Sunday. We do it Monday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And it's with Brandy Jackala and myself. And sometimes we have a guest co-host and we discuss and with people online about uh, the latest Discovery episode. And so you'll find that as part of the Edge show. It's a sub show to the Edge show here on Trek FM. And you can also find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report at StarWarsReport.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And of course, I'm always in the Babel Conference. So Dan, when you're not getting married to Dr. Beverly Crusher, where can people find you? Oh, I should be so lucky. <laughs> Matt Rushing would be so jealous of me. Well, when that's not happening, you, of course, can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find me on YouTube.com slash Productions, talking about Star Trek and, of course, hanging out in the Babel Conference. 
Well, thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.